our series of messages we're in is curious. And today the question that you asked at, at Easter time was, how, do I, how can I practice my faith? How can I grow my faith? That's really what we took from that. And it's interesting. That's, really curious. That's very curious to me because we talk about it often. And not only that, I think church by its nature, quote unquote, talks about how to practice one's faith. But yet there's this curiosity that we have about how do we do this? How can we, how can we grow this faith uh, to, to, to greater dimensions? And I think it's a, it's a worthy question and a great question. So today, title, we just titled the message, Practice, Practice, Practice. So when I think about practice, a lot of things come to mind. Uh, growing up, my family was very, music, was very musical, so I had to practice my piano. And I practiced my piano for seven years. Yes, I can play the piano. Am I going to play it for you? Absolutely not. Don't ask me to, I will tell you no. I also practiced a lot of things that I enjoyed more than piano, which was basketball, that was great. Tennis was even, was great. I can, I, now, if you want to play a game of horse at some point, I'm, I'm with you. If you want to play tennis, I'm, I'm good. I can do that, not a problem. Happy to. I practiced a lot. I practiced a lot. Now, here's the thing. When you practice, all of those practices were designed to help me be better were designed to help me be better at a particular skill. That's what practice is. So you practice, 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 so you can become more proficient at something. Now, I don't think it is too far afield to say that we should practice, practice, practice our faith so that we become more proficient in our faith. The key verse that we're working through in this series is James 1.5, and the, the, the key word is wisdom, wisdom. And that wisdom simply means the capacity to apply spiritual truths to daily decisions. That's what we're asking for. We ask for that. James chapter 1, verse 5, we use the message paraphrase. If you don't know what you're doing, pray to the Father. Or let me say it this way. If you don't know what you're doing, ask God. So that's what we're doing in this series. We're asking God, give us wisdom, Lord, let me apply spiritual truths to the daily decisions of my life. And one of those is how we practice our faith, how we grow our faith. You may be familiar with the phrase or the little term, practice makes perfect. Now, when you apply practice makes perfect to our faith, you wait, you go, wait a minute. Does that mean I can become like the perfect person? Well, let me assure you, that's not going to happen. We're not going to stop sinning. We're not going to be perfect. In other words, without fault, without flaw. That's not the point. However, there is a perfection that can be attained through our, through our growing our faith. In fact, Scripture says it this way. 2 Corinthians says, Paul says, strive for perfection, to aim for that. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says again, we will be mature in the Lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. James would say it this way, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So it's this idea that if I practice, if practice makes perfect, if it's practice, 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 so that I can become more proficient at a skill, when I begin to work through the spiritual practices that are available to me, I can become perfect or mature complete. I can become more 
godly in my life and in the things that I do. My actions will become more and more pleasing to God. And you know that the reality is, I think we, we look at this and we say, okay, if I practice, 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 and you know, what, what's going to eventually happen? It just seems that if I can't really get to one place, that it's just going to be frustrating. Why would I keep doing this? Why would I just keep pursuing something over and over again? Here's the coolest thing about practicing our faith and growing our faith. The more, the more that we grow, the more that we do, we do these things, the more we want, the more we desire. It is something that perpetuates itself in us. The more I know of God, the more I want of God. The more I learn of his goodness, the more of his goodness I desire. The deeper I go into his word, the more more of his word I want. There is something that the Holy Spirit does in our life that nothing else can compare to. That's why it's such a marvelous and wonderful pursuit to grow our faith, to practice our faith. So how do we do that? Well, there's this... Spiritual disciplines is really the, the classic word, or spiritual practices. Now, I can tell you, there are, there are so many different lists of what spiritual disciplines are, spiritual practices. There are innumerable things. And I think what happens is we can become frustrated. We say, well, there's just so many. How do I do this? I don't know which ones to do, and if I put all of them into play, I don't, I don't think I'm going to have time to do any of them, and I won't do any of them well. Well, I I get that point of frustration. It's easy to become overwhelmed with that. But what I want to do this morning is I want to kind of work through, not going to work through all those, I'm just going to talk about five five things today, really, in in kind of the idea of practices. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But I want us to look real quick at a a passage of Scripture from 1 Timothy chapter number 4, verses 7 to 10. So take a look with me. It's in your worship guide. It's also on the screens. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, he says, have nothing to do with godless myths or old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That that is why we labor and strive, because we put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. Speak to us this morning through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Something in this that's intriguing, there's a lot of that's in this that's intriguing to me, but one, one specific thing that really jumps out at me is these athletic references. Now, when I was in college, uh, we were preparing, uh, you know, obviously as preparing for ministry, we had to take a class that's basically a speech class, but the speech class was is homiletics. Now, homiletics is for preachers, a speech class, which teaches you how to build a sermon and present a sermon. Now, that's, that's essentially, that's a long time ago. What we did, we would sit in this class, we would learn all of the, the details of this, and then we got, then we had the wonderful opportunity of presenting this to all of these people sitting in this class. It was horrible, because what we said was horrible. We were terrible, because we were learning, but there was one guy I remember very specifically, because I, I'm going to tell you honestly, I don't remember one message that any of my friends preached in that homiletics class. Not one, except one. Daryl had already graduated from Portland State University, and he was now at, at college, and he was preparing to, 
to get a, a biblical degree to go on to pursue a seminary degree. And he had to have that undergraduate, he wanted to have that undergraduate uh, biblical studies. He got up to preach, and this was his text he used. He used 1 Timothy 4, talking about training yourself to be godly. Now, here is the, here's what you have, to, you have to envision, if you will. Daryl had played fullback at Portland State University. He was a monster. He was bulging. He, he, arms, you know, he, he stood like this. You know, he was that guy. And you would look, and so I, he was already kind of an awesome character to look at, and then he's talking about training. And so now all of these years later, that was in, I don't even want to tell you when it was. It was a few years ago. I'll just say that. A few years ago, now to, the, to this date, I remember that he preached on that text. I don't remember any, I don't even remember what I preached on. But I remember that. It stuck with me. And you see, this athletic metaphor that Paul uses to Timothy, Timothy would have immediately latched onto. He understood this because the Greeks and the Romans were very much in athletic competitions. There were games that were common throughout the empire. And so when Paul used this training metaphor, Timothy immediately said, I get it, that an athlete has to go into training he has to practice to become proficient in his skills so he can compete well and hopefully win the contest. And so it's those two phrases that really stand out. In fact, in the original language of the New Testament, it's literally where we get our word gymnasium from, is the words that he uses. So when I think about what it takes for us to build our faith, to grow our faith, I see two active qualities in this passage of Scripture for those who want to grow their faith. The first one is this. You have to train hard. You have to train hard. And that's in, not just in an athletic, not in an athletic sense, but in a spiritual practice sense. Now, for the last five months, I've been going to the gym three times a week. And this is new for me. I, I, I had been a part of a gym some years ago and did what a lot of people do. You join the gym and you never go. You know, and I don't raise, don't say an amen if that's you. I mean, I don't do that. I get it. Been there, done that. But this time, I said, no, I'm going to do it. And so I've been absolutely diligent and consistent three times a week. If I had to be out of town, I, this really tells me that something's going on. We went out of town for a few days, and where did I find myself? I found myself in the gym two of those days, the same pattern that I had been keeping for five months. Something's happening in me. And I'm really enjoying what I'm experiencing. Now, here's the thing that I want you to get. I get to the gym, and I'm working. I'm doing what I do, and I'm not going to tell you what I do. And I see some folks, I'm telling you something, they are working hard. And I look at these guys, and I went, I'm never going to get there. But I'm saying, I don't, I don't really need to. That's not my health goals. That's not my fitness goals. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I see these, and they are, and there's one guy, I don't, I don't, I don't only seen him, but I have never seen him. I've heard him a few times. And he is, he is, you hear this, and I'm going, oh my goodness, I hope the dude survives, you know. And then about five seconds, like, there he goes again. And I've heard him like three or four times. I'm thinking, man, the dude is into this. Okay. Here's the thing. These guys are working hard. They're working hard, and it's all good. And I think what I'm doing is good. But this is, what's interesting is what Paul says. He says, 
this kind of training is good, but there's something that's even better. Physical training is of some value, Paul says. But training in godliness has greater worth both for this life and the life yet to come. So if, I am, if I'm committed three times a week to training my physical body, and there is value to that, should I not take it even one step farther and train my spiritual side, the spiritual side of my life, because it has value both now and forever? And I would say yes. In fact, when you train hard, when you train hard, it means that you're doing so strenuously with vigor. You are doing it intensely. And those that I observe, that's exactly what they're doing. And I commend them for that. When Paul says to train yourself to be godly, here is what he's saying. Literally, in the original language, it says, exercise yourself unto godliness. You are to put things into place that create a godly outcome. That is an incredible responsibility. So you wonder, okay, Gary, that's all good. Well, what might it look like for me to train hard? If I'm going to be strenuous in my training and vigorous in my training, what does that mean? Here are five thoughts. Now, there are, one of them is, I don't really know if it's a spiritual discipline. That's the one I start with, and that's denial. Denial. You know, I'm not suggesting that denial is a spiritual practice. I, I don't know that it is, but I also don't know that it's not. Paul says this in speaking of what, specifically to what Timothy is dealing with. He's dealing with false teachers and false prophecies, all kinds of things. He's, he's dealing with old wives' tales. He's dealing with things that really are completely, they're kind of off the wall, as it were, and Paul says, have nothing to do with that. He says, you have to deny yourself of certain things. And it is a temptation in today to just believe anything and everything. And to a young pastor, Paul says, don't do that. You've got to deny yourself there, and you've got to get back to the things that actually bring value. Don't go there, he says. Have nothing to do with him. Now, here's the reality when I think of my own physical life. I love a good cheeseburger. I love a good half a gallon of ice cream. I, and I could go on. I love, I love donuts. Oh, golly, I love donuts. And my favorite donut of all donuts is a maple, is a maple, bard, that is, a maple bard that is filled with custard. That is my favorite on the planet. I love that. And I have not had one in, I don't know now, maybe two years. But I love it. And I think about donuts and I just, my mouth right now is watering. I'm just telling you. But I'm going to tell you, some of those things aren't good for you. When you're training yourself, there are some things you have to deny yourself. And the same is true in godliness. There's some things we have to say no to. You know, Jesus said this. He said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. There are some things that I want to do that I just simply cannot do and should not do. When we deny the bad, then we should embrace the good. Deny the bad, embrace the good. Of all the spiritual practices or disciplines, there are some things that are just hard to do. But, you know, we have to deny what's bad, and we need to embrace what's good. So I want to give you four things that I think are really good. Number one is Scripture. Scripture. We need to have deny. We need to deny, but we also need to embrace the good. Scripture. Now, I want you, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down a few numbers. Five, I want you to write down five numbers. Here are the numbers. 1,600. 1,600. 1,600. Second number, 66. Next number, 40. Next, two. Last number is one. 
Let me explain them. Well, here's what they mean. The Bible was written over approximately 1,600 years. What I hold in my hand, approximately 1,600 years. Has 66 books. 66 books. Old Testament, New Testament. It was written by 40 writers. 40 writers. Two major sections. Old Testament, New Testament. But here's the, here's the uniqueness of the scriptures. While it had 40 writers, it had one author. And it was God. God, by his spirit, moved on those who wrote the scriptures so that we could hear, we could have as our, as our guidebook of life the revelation of God to man. It is a consi- Not only is there one author, there is a consistent message, one message from literally cover to cover. And so how do we engage with scripture? The first way is just simply read it. Just read it. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, God's word is alive and working and is sharper than any double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones. And it judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. Nothing in all the world can be hidden from God. Everything is clear and lies open before him. And to him we must explain the way that we have lived. Reading scripture begins to just open up opportunities and understanding in our lives. Read scripture. That's the first way to engage with scripture. The second way is to memorize scripture. Memorize scripture. Now I can help you out this morning. Here's every one of you can walk away memorizing one scripture, John 6, 35. You probably know it. Jesus wept. There you go. You got one. You already got one under your belt. You say, but Gary, that's a little bit. You know, scripture says very clearly, Psalm 119, verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Did you know that this book, there are certain nations in our world, this book is not allowed. It is illegal to own this book. If that were to happen in the United States without memorizing scripture, without it being hidden in your heart, what would you do? The internet will not provide it for you. Your smartphone will not continue to have it because it will be outlawed. We must be people who let the word of God get into our heart just beyond, not not just by reading it, but letting it be planted in our heart through memorizing it. There are certain verses that I memorized when I was a kid. I still remember them. I'm grateful for that. Years ago, I was, I'd taken some students skiing, and I was on my way home. And not a big deal that I was, took them skiing and on my way home, but it was what happened in between. I got hit by a skier, knocked cold, had a concussion, and had to drive these students home because I had no other adult leader with me. That's pretty stupid, okay? Let me just say it. But that's the, that was the conditions. You know what I was doing on the way down the hill when I couldn't even remember which way to turn? I was quoting scripture that was in my heart. And God got me home safely. And I believe it's directly related. Is the word of God hidden in your heart? You say, Gary, I can't memorize anything. Yes, you can. You know which channels ESPN is. You got that memorized. Say, oh, okay, you're getting a little too close here. Come on now. I know the starting pitcher for. You got that memorized? I know the batting averages of. Oh, I know how much. I know how many Super Bowls Tom Brady has won. Oh, you got to love it. The point is, is that we think we can't memorize certain things. Scripture, I can't memorize that. Yes, you can. Engage with Scripture by reading. I, told, I mentioned last week, when you read, here's the way to do it. Read one proverb a day. 
And in the course of 12 months, you will have read it 12 times. And I'm going to make a guarantee. The next, the next time you go through it, every month, there's going to be something familiar that will catch your attention. And it will be planted in your heart. And there will be something that the Holy Spirit will do in you. They say, I've got to focus on that. I'm going to underline that. I'm going to highlight that. I'm going to go back to that because that helped me today. Memorize it. third way we engage is to meditate on Scripture. Psalm 119 and verse 19. 97 says, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Here's something that I think becomes confusing to us. We think of meditation, and we, we often will define meditation as like Eastern meditation. Eastern meditation says this, that we empty our minds. Now, that's not a good thing. That's not what, that's not what meditating on Scripture is. And so when we talk about meditation, we're not talking about that. We're talking about meditating on Scripture. That means to take a moment... Just, just using this, this one verse, let's just use this verse. The writer of Psalm 119 says, oh, how I love your law. If I were to meditate on that, I would just stop and say, Lord, what is, what is the law? What, what is your law to me? Well, I know probably I've heard something like this, that I'm supposed to love you with all my heart. That's your law. Oh, I know there's another part to that, that I'm also still a people. Lord, I want to love your law. I want to love you with all my heart, and I want to love, I want to love your people. Thank you for the, for the law of God. Thank you that it turns me in the directions that it turns. Med- you're meditating on the word of God. You're letting the word of God fill your heart and push out all the other stuff. That's another way to engage with Scripture. The, and the fourth way is to study it. It's to study it. Acts chapter 17 te- talks about the Bereans. In this last phrase, it says, they searched, they searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. It's the idea of studying. Now, you look at this and you go, okay, wow, you, you, know, you just, you just kind of went, went over the top, dude. I can't, this study thing... I mean, study scripture, how do I do that? I don't, I don't have resource. Oh, yes, we do. There's this thing called the internet machine. It's a new deal, you know. It has, it has amazing features. And let me, let me just tell you a couple of things that you can do to study scripture. First of all, there's a couple of apps that you can immediately connect to. One of those apps is Uversion. Uversion, Y-O-U-V-E-R. S-I-O-N, here we go, spell it correctly, version. It's free, download the app, get it on your smartphone. Everywhere you go, you may not be able to take a physical Bible with you, but if you have your smartphone with you, you've got a bazillion translations of the scripture. You've got audio versions where you are, when you are driving, when you are commuting, you can listen to God's word. You have opportunities to connect with children's different, different ways with children's reading programs. There's all kinds of opportunities just to read scripture. And then there's other websites that I use, personally use. Bible Gateway is one of them. All kinds of resources, free resources where you can study the scriptures. You find a scripture, you don't understand it. Get on Bible Gateway, put that text in, and all of these resources come up. And you'll be able to study the scriptures. Go deeper, go deeper every day into God's word. It's an incredible amount of resource available to you. It's all, and you know, you look at this, you say, okay, Gary, I get it. I get it, it's all good. 
it's all good. But if you're like me, I, I, you might say, why would I do this? What's the point? What's the point? If you go back to the original verse that kind of anchors our series, we don't know what to do, we need to ask God. Here it is. Most of us, if you, and I've already referenced a smartphone, most of us have a smartphone uh, that has, and most of those smartphones are going to have some navigation on it, right? And that navigation on there will tell you which way to turn, where to go. Well, here it is. This will tell you which way to turn, tell you where to go. Engage with Scripture. Engage with Scripture. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Study it. It'll radically alter your life. The second is prayer. It's prayer to pray. You know, Jesus' disciples asked him this question. He said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? You notice it's interesting to me in, in Luke eleven two, 2, when they asked the question, this is what Jesus' answer was. He says, when you pray, say this. And he then what we have traditionally learned is the Lord's Prayer. The disciples didn't ask Jesus how to preach. They didn't ask him how to relate to other people. They asked him how to pray. And when he gave them the answer, it was, Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And you, most of us in this room, if not all of us, could probably go through the Lord's Prayer. And even if you can't quote it verbatim, you probably have enough of it that you understand. You, you see, this, this is a prayer that I pray every day. I don't pray that specific prayer, but I use it as a pattern of prayer. Every morning, I will pray in worship. Then I will pray that the will of God will be done. I will pray for the needs of my life. I will pray for, to be forgiven and to be in right relationship with other people. I will use that as a pattern of prayer. What an incredible opportunity for us to pray. We need to engage in Scripture, but we also need to pray. Prayer is the most important conversation of your day. Take things to God before you take them to anybody else. Don't minimize the power of prayer. You say, but Gary, I don't know how to pray. I can't even remember the Lord's prayer. I don't know how to pray. You know, here's, the, here's something you just need to grab onto. When you talk about spiritual disciplines, you think, okay, if I do these things, God's going to like me more. No, it's not the discipline, it's not the duty of religion that gives us the approval with God. You're not going to be loved any more by God than you are at this very moment. That's not the point. What is so important is that as we pray, we're communicating, we're having a conversation with God. You don't know how to pray, just say, God, I don't know what's going on in my life, I just need your help. You're praying You're praying, just have a friendly conversation with God. You don't have to have all the right words. He's not going to say, well, you didn't say it right, so therefore I'm not listening to you. No, no, just have a conversation with God. Have a conversation with God. It's the most important conversation you have. The third one is fasting. Fasting. You go, oh, boy, that sounds like fun. Fasting. Fasting, Tony Evans, pastors in Dallas, a great, great teacher. This is how he defined fasting. It's a great definition. He says, fasting is the deliberate abstinence from some form of physical gratification to achieve a greater spiritual goal. That's all it is. You can fast a meal. Some of you here cannot fast food. And I'm not talking about fast food. 
I'm talking about fasting food because of medical conditions. I get it. But you know, that's not the only way to fast. That's what's so significant about this definition. You can give up, what is it? The deliberate abstinence from some form of physical gratification. Whatever that is. You say, well, I'm not going to go to the gym. There you go. No, don't do that. It could be. It could be technology. What? what? Oh, don't go there. Don't go there. You're, you're meddling at this point, Pastor Gary. Don't go there. It could be just silencing everything in your car, everything in your car, and meditating on the Word of God. When you give up a meal, when you give up a particular form of physical gratification, you spend those moments in prayer, how different would your life be through fasting? I would suggest it's going to be significantly different. Why? Because I'm telling you, after five months in the gym, three days a week, I see a difference in my life. I have more energy. I sleep better. My weight is changing. I am firming up in areas that I forgot I had, you know, frankly. Wow, this arm, wow, well, look at this, you know. It's not flapping like a wing at this point. That's amazing. Now, that sounds a little silly, but I'm seeing a difference. And Paul says, physical training has some value, but training in godliness has greater value for this life and the life to come. So when you fast, there's going to be a difference in your life. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to warn you ahead of time, something, something significant is coming down at the first of the year. We're going to do something together. I'm going to test it on myself first. And I'm believing that God is going to radically alter us as a congregation of people as we employ a spiritual practice at the beginning of the year. I believe it will shake us to our very core. But as it shakes us, it will change us to become more and more like Jesus. Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want that. I want more and more of Christ in my life. I want to be more and more like him. Jesus said in Matthew 6, I won't take the time to read it, but just this, actually the first phrase, it, it works. So in Matthew 6, 16, this is what Jesus said. These words, and when you fast. Just those words, and when you fast. Do you notice? Do you notice the emphasis of that? He doesn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. It is a normal part of our life as followers of Christ. It is a discipline. It is a practice. I want to encourage you, fast, because it will make a difference in your life. The last one is service. Service. Jesus, in Mark chapter 10, we read of him, he says this, and this is Jesus saying this. He says, whoever wants to be your leader must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must serve the rest of you like a slave. Follow my example. Wow. Follow my example. Even the Son of Man did not come for people to serve him. He came to serve others and to give his life to save many. What an example we have of serving. You see, serving, serving is something we get to do. It's not something we have to do. But I'm going to add something to that. It is something we get to do, but it is also something we have to do because of the, of the implications of serving. Some right now are serving in children's ministry so that young parents can be in this room having a deep breath and hearing the word of God preached and engaging in worship. Some served in the cafe this morning so we could all get a little bit more caffeinated. And you say, well, that doesn't, no, let me tell you, that's important. 
Some of you can't go a Sunday without a donut. I, I know, it's okay. I can't either, but I'm denying myself anyway. When somebody's greeting at the door, that smile and that handshake and that hug may make the difference in their life. You do not know what pain, what loneliness, what suffering, what it may be going on in their mind when they walk through that door. And it was your smile that made the difference. It was your word that made the difference. Do not diminish the serving components that are available to us. They make a difference. And I will tell you, I will tell you, it is a, it is a practice that each of us should be very, very much engaged within, upon, or in. Let me be clear. Sometimes these things are hard. Sometimes we don't want to do them. Yesterday is a perfect example. I came back from the men's retreat. I'd spoken four times at the men's retreat. I had to sleep in a room with five other guys. Are, are you kidding me? It was actually fine. I make more of it than I, I should. We had a great time. I was tired. I was tired. When I got home, I was tired. I'm just telling you, I was tired. And I didn't go to the gym yesterday, okay, because I was gone in the morning when I normally go. So I got home and I told Marcy, I said, I'm not going to go today. She said, yeah, you probably shouldn't. You pooped. And I said, I get it. I'm sitting on the couch. I'm just drained. I thought, well, I'm going to get up and get a little lunch. So I got up and get a little lunch and I ate a little bit. I felt better, and I said, nope, I'm going to the gym. I got one more thing to do, and then I'm going to the gym. So I sat down and did some work on my message for today, put my computer away, went and got dressed, and went to the gym, worked out, got back. And I'm telling you something. When I got back, I'm going, man, I am so glad I went. Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we don't want to do it. Sometimes we don't want to serve. Sometimes we don't want to fast. Sometimes we don't want to pray. Sometimes we don't want to read God's Word. But I'm telling you, when we press through and there is consistency in those practices, God will show up and He will radically alter our life. There will be a change. Why am I changing? Only because I think God's helping me, certainly, when I'm talking physically, but it's the consistency. It is the over and over and over again. It is the practice, practice, practice. When you practice, perfection will follow. Completion will happen. Maturity will be the outcome. But it's when we put it on the side and I can't do this. I can't do this. Yes, we can. Yes, you can. So that's we train hard. You say, wow, that went really a long time, Gary, and you got one more of those? Yeah, but this one's really short, so hang on. So the second quality, you train hard, number one. Second, these individuals, they commit completely. They commit completely. There's a, there's a small phrase in this text that is just, and it just jumped off the page at me this week. And it was this phrase, deserves full acceptance. If you were to, and I, I included the message paraphrase of this same portion. And just the last couple of lines, I'm not going to take the time to read it. But Paul says to Timothy, and this is the paraphrase, it says, take this to heart. Take it to heart. And then he adds this phrase. This is why we've thrown ourselves into this venture so totally. Notice that? So totally. In other words, everything, it's an all-in commitment. So those who train hard, the next part of that is they commit totally. Now, today's the last day of summer, and tomorrow begins fall, and that has a whole other set of good things, and that's great. But I'm kind of bummed that summer's ending. Summer's just one of those 
It's a great season, and I don't know, if you're, if you're like me, I, I, maybe you did. I, I hope you did. I hope at some point during the, the warm summer months you had at least one opportunity to get yourself into the ocean, you know, to jump in a pool, a lake, a river, something, and just enjoy a bit of that refreshing. There is something about it that's just so wonderful. But I, can I just tell you something? Here's what I've discovered that, you know, when you, when you, it's hot, and it's, you know, in your summertime, and you're at a really nice pool, and you're going to get into it, so you go, you know, I'm really going to enjoy this. So you take a foot, and you go, oh, man, that was wonderful. Okay, I'm all done for the day. Or, or you're at the beach, and, you know, you run down to the, you run down the surf, and the water comes in, you back up real fast, and maybe a little bit of water runs out. Oh, man, that was so much fun. Ah, oh, just a, oh, a little more dangle. I'm good. A little more. I just run away from the water. I'm going to tell you something. That might be good, but it is so much better to get all the way in. Because when you get all the way in, there is a total sense. Let me tell you, when it's 100 plus outside and you hit the water and everything's cut, you go, you, I, know, I know exactly what you do because I do it. You go, even if it doesn't come out, you go, ah, oh, refreshing. It invigorates us. Why? Oh, I'm so invigorated. No. But when I'm in, I'm all in. I'm totally committed. And something happens dynamically in my life when I'm all in. It's when I reserve. It's when I pull back that I'm not able to experience all that God has for me. Peter says it well. He talks about God's power, that he provides everything we need to live for a life of godliness. And what is so significant as this scripture continues on, Peter says you need to add to this and add to this and add to this and add to this and add to this. What's he talking about? He says through consistency and growth. What are you doing? God's giving you everything you need, but you've got to keep doing this. You keep doing this, and then something happens. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you are going to mature. You are going to become complete. You will become perfect as we are totally immersed in the practices that God has made available to us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is probably a name you know. If not, he was, just so you know, he was a Lutheran pastor. Died at a very young age, 1945, just a few weeks prior to the ending of World War II. He was one of the few, and I say that respectfully, but honestly. He was one of the few pastors who opposed Nazism and Adolf Hitler. And it cost him his life. It's a great book, The Cost of Discipleship. He, he really shows us what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus. But this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. And it is absolutely powerful. He says, your life as a Christian, your life as a Christian should make a non-believer question their disbelief in God. You hear that? Your life as a Christian should make your, a non-believer question their disbelief in God. Every one of us walk through this life and we encounter people who don't believe. But how is our life, how is our life shaping up under those conditions? You see, as I am training hard, just as I am at the gym and I see individuals just pouring themselves into it, there is a part of me that says, 
I want to be like that. I want to do that. I want to be in that kind of a condition. I want to be able to be in that kind of shape. But see, that brings a little bit of value. But training in godliness brings greater value. When we train hard and we are totally in, those around us who don't know Christ will see our lives and be attracted to the Christ within us. I want that. It's not what you say. That has a part of it, yeah, but it's not what you say. Words are plenty. But your life example, your life example, the way you live, the way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you love, the way that you serve, the way that you give, people are going to say, ha, at some point they're just going to say, I mean, how do you do this? How do you do this? You'll have the opportunity to be the influence of godliness in their life. So train hard. Go all in. So that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him, look at this, to Him be all the glory, both now and forevermore. It's not about your religious duty. It is about to glorify God. So I build my faith. I grow my faith. I practice, practice, practice for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And somehow, that I'll have the opportunity. I'll have the opportunity to influence others around me. Jesus, thank you for your word.